Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And this is the second, kind of the second installment of our disciple making series uh, where we're striving just to look at the teachings and the life and ministry of Jesus and grow to have a mindset that says making disciples, being who God has called us to be, looks like Jesus. Let's do everything we can to look like Him. And Luke chapter 10, I want to start by just reading verses 38 through 42. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to cling to this one statement, this one summary phrase, and it is that the good portion that is eternal is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary. The good portion that is eternal is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary. It's kind of interesting, the most common response when asking anyone how they're doing, other than the reflex reaction of, I'm good, how are you? tends to be one of two things. I'm busy or I'm tired. And if I'm tired, it's because what? I'm busy. Tends to be. In fact, it's kind of interesting in 2018, 60% of people would say that they are too busy to enjoy life. That number, 60%, is exactly the same today. And I would argue it's probably more than 60%. But relatively speaking, when we step back and we consider the fact that just between 2018 and the end of 2023, 
zero recorded change between how many people felt they were too busy to enjoy life versus how many could enjoy life. Uh, No change equals a problem. Everyone say we have a problem. (laughs) The question is why? Well, if we stop and we think about it, busyness has become a source of identity for some people. It's something that we feel we can actually end up uh, striving for, achieving, or even bragging about. Even if the bragging sounds like complaining. Oh, I'm tired. I tell you what, I worked 60 hours last week. Is that supposed to be a good thing? I was talking about this with a pastor friend of mine in Oregon one time, and he made this statement, and it has just sat with me ever since. He said, Observing the Sabbath day may be the only commandment that today, when we break it, even in the Christian world, we get a raise. We stop and we think about the world around us encourages busyness. It encourages us to do more, to go above and beyond, to go the extra mile. And in some measure, that's a good thing. And yet, the question we have to ask is, can it become a problem? One of the exercises that uh, we did my freshman year of college... uh, was an exercise to take a normal 24-hour day and to divide it up based on all the things that you would like to or think you will accomplish in a given day. And this week, I just kind of did a rough sketch of someone who works and thought, all right, let's think about a 24-hour day. If I work 8 to 10 hours, if I sleep for 7 hours, some of you are going, I don't even get close to that, and some of you are going, only 7 If I spend 30 to 45 minutes total in the whole day getting ready, whether that be showering, changing clothes, all of those things. If I take three meals in the day and spend 20 minutes at each one, an hour of time. If I spend 20 to 30 minutes driving, if I'm, uh, and this statistic, three to four hours on the phone or watching TV is actually an average that researchers have found. Most people spend on average three to four hours consuming media. Just in those categories there, you have already utilized 20 to 23 hours of a given day. And then we could think about all of the other things that I would like to do with my time. Personal time in scripture is not even up there. Exercise, time with my spouse, time with my kids, time with my friends or extended family, hobbies. We could add to this list and all of a sudden we look at this and we go, there's not enough time. Or... What we often say instead is, I just need more hours in a day. The wrestling, I want to encourage us to stop and pause and ponder in light of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to unpack here, is, is it really that we need more time or that our time needs to look different? Could it be that we easily have just become prone to be a part of a machine that we've convinced ourselves is working, when in reality, one of the greatest things keeping us from being like Jesus is how we prioritize our time. The good portion that is eternal 
is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary. In Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus enter the house of Martha. Martha welcomes him in and begins serving the Lord, while her sister Mary sits at his feet and listens to his teaching. Now, there's something interesting when we stop and we look at the characters involved in this portion of Jesus' ministry. On the surface, just in that little bit, you and I, especially in our Western eyes, are prone to, in a sense, vilify Martha. Only because of what Jesus says later on. But if we're honest, if we're in the same situation from our Western eyes, we would probably, when put in the same scenario, be more prone to vilify Mary. Because there's work to be done. There's stuff that needs to happen. And she's just sitting there. But what's really convicting about this is... Busy isn't always bad, but it can distract us from what is best. We don't often, in Luke chapter 10, stop to consider that Martha is doing a really good thing. Martha is being hospitable. She's invited Jesus into her home. She's serving Jesus. She's doing the things. And it is not ill intent from what's described here. It's a good thing. Family, there are a plethora, an uncounted number of good things that we can spend our time doing just today. The question is, what is best? What is the best use of my time? When did this good thing become not so good? And that's a question every one of us should probably wrestle with. At what point does something that once was a good motivated practice become not so good? When did it become a bad thing? And in this case, what we uncover is the good thing becomes not so good when it distracts her from Jesus himself. Martha becomes so consumed with serving Jesus that she loses sight of Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but if we stop and ponder that, how quickly can that become the case for every one of us? How quickly can we become prone to doing all of these things in the name of Jesus and lose sight of Jesus altogether? There's a group of people in the Bible who did this very thing. They were called the Pharisees. Who set their eyes on serving the Lord and keeping the Lord's name pure and holy and setting the rules and holding people to expectations. And yet in the midst of all of their doing, they not only missed, but crucified the Messiah. If you and I are not consciously aware of how we are engaging our time, we can do a lot of good things in the name of Jesus and forget Jesus in the process. 
Busy is not always bad, but it can distract us from what is best. Now, there's another observation that we can make here. If we look at verse 40, where it says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and so she goes up to Jesus. She went up to Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, we were discussing this passage as elders on Monday evening, and one of the points brought out in that discussion was, isn't it interesting that Martha gets so worked up That she actually accuses Jesus of being part of the problem. She comes to Jesus and she she says, Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm doing all of this stuff and she's just sitting there? Don't you care? Well, if you care, then tell her to get up and help me. And the truth is, in our anxious frustration, we end up accusing God for our own misplaced priorities. In the same way, because, why why is this? Martha had convinced herself that what she was doing was the most important thing. Martha had convinced herself that serving Jesus, physically serving Jesus in this moment, was more important than anything else. And therefore, because serving Jesus physically in this moment is more important than anything else, Mary has lost sight of what is most important. And yet, Christ makes a statement that says the opposite. Now, I don't know about you, but when I encounter this, it causes me to pause and ask myself, where have I been prone to get frustrated and anxious and troubled over things in my life and blame God? And God is sitting there going, this on you. This is something that you have prioritized in your life. I haven't called you to this. And yet time and time again, we tend to elevate our own priorities and then put a God stamp on it and say, well, this is what God wants me to do. Is it? Is it? Or is God's desire for us something else? Maybe in our modern situations, it sounds like this. God, don't you know how important this project is to me? Couldn't you help it fall into place a little easier? God, don't you see how hard I'm working? Could you just give me some more help? God, don't you see how much I've done already? Could you just make a way for life to be easier for me? And yet, in the midst of each one of those statements, we elevate ourselves and our plans and our purposes over God Himself. And if we're not careful, we become a people prone to vilify God Himself 
because he's not bringing about my priorities. The question we as the church should be asking is, what are his priorities and how can we align ourselves with him? The answer to that question begins by understanding that there is none of us who can on our own align ourselves with God because we are separated from God in our sin. God has made a way for us to be united with Christ together. To be made whole. The gift, the promise of salvation is not a gift to check a box and say, Oh, I'm saved. It is a gift of God's presence in our lives. Not just in the moment, but for eternity. Our hope that is found in Jesus is not a hope of this earth. It's not a hope that if I come to Jesus, my life is going to pan out the way that I want it to or planned it to. My hope is not for my own success. My hope is not for my own benefit. But for the glory of God. My hope is in the truth that though all of this passes away. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. My hope is in no other. And the gift I've been given in Christ cannot be taken away by anyone. The good portion that is eternal is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary. In verse 41, we see Jesus lovingly rebuke Martha. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In Luke chapter 12, just a little bit forward from this, if you want to flip there, you can. Verses 22 through 26, we have a familiar text. If you have spent any amount of time in Matthew 6, Matthew 5 through 7, We often refer to as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, Luke's account of this gives another dynamic that is important for us. In verse 22, it says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? When I read that this week, I laughed at the uh, at verse 26 if then you are not able to do as small a thing as add a single hour to your life the reason i laugh at that is because jesus is saying that's a that's such a small thing for god and 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 
We, we, can't, we can't do that. We can't extend our life one more hour. We have no power or ability to do that. And so the, the, the truth that Jesus comes back to here in his teaching is the same truth that becomes real when we understand the, Jesus' loving rebuke to Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but there's only one that's necessary. In the, it, it's the same truth that Jesus teaches that in what we just read. We don't need to be anxious about all this other stuff related to how the Lord is going to provide for us. What evidence do we have? Prove to me that I don't need to be anxious about that. The very breath in your lungs is evidence that you don't need to be concerned about that. Because you have no ability to extend your life one more hour from where it is right now. God sustains our lives. And if He sustains our lives, He will provide what we need. The thing we don't like about this is often the difference between what I really need and what I think I need. Because I think I need a lot of stuff. I think I need a lot of things. And that doesn't even just need to be material things. I think that I need all of this in place. And yet, while there can be many good things, one thing is necessary. So we need to prioritize that which is necessary. So what is the one thing that Jesus says in verse 42? One thing is necessary. Well, we know that the one thing is eternal. It's not temporary because Jesus says the good portion is that which will not be taken away. So what is it that won't be taken away? What is it that Mary has invested in that won't be taken away from her? It's Jesus himself. If we do everything for Jesus but fail to listen to Jesus, we miss the point. We could do all the things for Christ and miss Christ altogether. What do we see Mary doing here? She's sitting and listening to Jesus. She's sitting and listening to the very one through whom salvation comes. Now, don't get me wrong. In no way here is this some encouragement to passive living. And without fail, there's always someone who considers this and goes, I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and let God do it all. Well, no, because the person who says, I fix my eyes on Christ, understands that Christ gave the church a very specific mission. We talked about that last week. To have a disciple-making way of life when he said, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, knowing that I will be with you to the end of the age. Ah, You don't do it alone. So it's not an invitation to just passive living where we just sit back and take it all in and go, God, you've got it. I'm just going to chill in the passenger seat and be along for the ride. But rather the one who sits and listens to Jesus is propelled and motivated to doing that reflects the teachings of Jesus. Listening enables doing. I'm curious, how many of you 
have a list of tasks that your spouse or significant other would like you to do? Come on. Am I the only one? All right. Now there's a couple that are going up. All right. Most of us could recognize that there is. Here's the problem though, right? If I take no time to listen to what it is that my spouse or significant other really wants done, and then I go off and I do, everyone's going to be frustrated in the midst of it, aren't they? Because I will have done all this work for what? For nothing. If my aim was to do what they desired me to do. I still did a lot of work, but if it wasn't the work that actually was on the list or on that which I was asked to do, then I still have the same list and I've done a lot, but I've really done nothing. The same can easily become true about our relationship with Christ. We can do a lot of things and go before God and we think somehow that this earns us some merit before God and maybe the Lord is going, but you still haven't done the thing that I asked you to do in the first place. It's still coming back to the same thing. And this has to be a truth that we come back to often. If I fail to listen to the one who saved our life, then we will never know what mission that He has given us. It has to begin by sitting at the feet of Christ. In Psalm 27, David wrote, One thing have I asked for of the Lord that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Psalm 84 Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Philippians 1, to be with the Lord, Paul says, is far better. He's conflicted because he goes, I want to stay here and keep doing the work, but I really want to be with the Lord because to be with the Lord is far better. Why is it far better? Because He, in fact, is the good portion that every one of us should long for. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that the proclamation of a message like this is far easier than the application of it. It is far easier for us to say, Jesus is the good portion. He's all that we ever need. It's far easier for us to say that we have no need to be anxious about these things than it is to actually live that out. And yet, difficulty cannot become an excuse for sitting in the same place we are now. We still sit here today with our calendars full, our to-do lists long, and our minds still distracted. And we ask, how? How do I get there? How do I get to the point where the good portion is most important? How do we get there? And I want to give you one question that we can ask that can start us on that journey each day. Will what I invest in today stand the test of eternity? Will what I invest in today stand the test of eternity? The passage we read right before communion in 1 Corinthians 3 establishes that question. There's one foundation 
God has already laid it. It's Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, he, he's, he's repeating the same thing. There's one foundation. It's Christ. But once that foundation is laid, you start building on that foundation. So you could say, I follow Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. And in fact, in that passage in 1 Corinthians, we actually see that. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. How could that be so? Because it wasn't that that person was not saved. It's that they spent their whole life investing in things that didn't matter. They spent their whole life investing in non-eternal things. Therefore, they suffer loss at the judgment seat because what they thought was most important in their life was not. They missed the good portion. So when we step back and we think about that, we need to answer the question, is that which I'm investing in today temporary or eternal? Because the good portion that is eternal is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary. Every opportunity of each day is an opportunity to build upon the foundation that has already been laid in Christ. So when we step back and we think about that list of things in a 24-hour time span, and we go, I still got to work. I still got to eat. I still got these things to do. How do I, how do I spend time? I, I, I want practical steps. I want practical steps. What does this look like? Well, let's, let's look at that one last time before we close. In my work, what reason do I have for working? Is my work solely to please my employer, solely to build up a wealth? Or is my motive for work... Colossians 3, where it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Am I working as for the Lord or as for men? In Galatians 1, Paul said, Am I now a servant of man or a servant of Christ? If I'm a servant of man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Jesus said, You can't serve two masters. And specifically, he was talking about you can't serve both God and money. So, what's my motive for going to work each day? It's a great starting place. Do I work for the Lord or do I work for man? Changes our priority on this. What about in all of the in-between times? Matthew 28, where it says, As you are going, make disciples. 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So, what am I doing in those 30 to 45 minutes that I'm getting ready? What am I doing during meal times? How am I investing in those? Who am I spending time with during those times? While I'm driving, what's on my mind? Where do I direct my attention and my thoughts? How can we use those in-between times to fix our eyes on Jesus again? All those lists of people that we want to spend time with. Well, I would encourage you in the midst of recognizing these averages for phone and TV, substitute time on for time with. 
Instead of spending time on something, spend time with people. Invite them into your spaces. Walk with them. Don't wait for other people to invite you in. You take the priority and say, I know what Jesus has done for me and it's not of my doing, so I'm going to invite other people into my spaces and pour into them. We can get so consumed with wanting everyone else to do everything to us and for us and completely lose sight of what Jesus has already done for you and I. And then at the end of the day, When I've served the Lord and fixed my eyes on Him and done everything I can to serve the Lord and work for the Lord and not men, we can rest knowing that everything I didn't get done is in the Lord's hands. He sustains my life. He will sustain all of those other things that I am prone to prioritize more than Him. The good portion that is eternal is never rooted in the anxious troubles of the temporary the good portion is Jesus and in him we truly have all we will ever need amen so I'm going to ask the worship team to come I'm going to have you stand and to close our time this is we started this last week we're going to be doing this every at the end of every time that we're gathered um at least in the first quarter of the year. And this is called the Disciple Maker's Prayer. And uh, it's a, it, it is a fantastic resource that we can utilize to remind one another and ourselves what our priority is each day. And I have card versions of this. We handed them out to everyone who was here last week. So if you already got one... Um, don't, don't try to get another one because I want to have enough for everyone. So if you didn't get one last week, see me after church and I've got a, a card of this on it that I want to give you where you can put it somewhere to be a reminder. And my challenge is for you to work at memorizing this. So it becomes a part of your everyday work towards fixing your eyes on Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to say this together. And then we're going to close with a song. Let's, let's read this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum in Jesus' name. Amen.